of all the people talking about, you know, you work on Beatles Rex, we're going to talk about the ethics of doing it. And I think there's so many more important things that are ethical in the world right now than whether I decide to put Ringo on the left-hand side or right side when I'm mixing a track. But everything's relative. Everything is relative. My point is, is that music is, the one, is one of those things that can make people feel and stimulate memories, happiness, sad, that doesn't do any harm at all. And so if I can work on a Beatles project, people go, wait a second, I love Ringo, George, John. And then we put them back through Studio 2 in Abbey Road and we re-record them. The band are in the room and people should listen to the Red and Blue albums. Are they out now? Sorry, I know. I sh- They're out on Friday. They're out on Friday. Okay, that's it. Done deal. Coming Buy- soon. Buying those. Buying those. Giles, it is a joy to talk to you. Welcome to this week's When They Was Fab. I'm Ed Chan. And I'm the returning John Stone. Yeah, you were supposed to be here with us last week with Ken Womack. I was, and I, I had looked so much forward to it and poured over the book and then couldn't make it. We may have him back in the not-too-distant future. He's talking about he may be here in town and we can try and set something up then. But if not, well, we know, he's our buddy and... We'll find a way to get him on for something. Certainly book two, which is going to be coming sometime next year. He hasn't announced a date yet. He is our very friend and pal. (laughs) Book two, the picture book, four times the number of photos that are in this edition. A lot of full plate color photos. The full reproduction of everything that Mal wrote. The two books and whatever they have of the roadie novella, which is actually something that I'm kind of looking forward to. Yeah. Anything you want to say about that since, well, you weren't able to last week? No, you covered it going over the book. It is a good book, although, as I've been saying, it may not be what you're expecting. But if you want to learn about Mal Evans, which is ostensibly the reason you are reading a book about Mal Evans, you will accomplish that by reading this book. Right. The other big bit of Beatles news this past week now and then is at number one in the British charts. That's kind of stunning. <laughs> right. Although I'm not sure what the charts mean these days. Well, there is always that. They also popped in at number one on the Billboard download charts based upon the first two days of digital sales. Right. Again, what does that mean? We won't see where it ends up in the 
Hot 100 for another week. By the time you're getting this, you'll know where it ended up debuting on the Billboard Hot 100. Right. But you can be the, be assured that after thousands, if not millions of streams, that both Paul and Ringo have earned another $3.65. <laughs> At least, yes. Maybe even a whole $5. Well, you know, wait for those figures to come in. The media is eating it up. 54 years since the last number one from the Beatles. And I'm actually just as impressed by the fact that 10 hours of sales were all that were required to get it up to number 42 (laughs) in the charts the week before. Right. And here's a question for you. And what was the last Beatles number one? Uh, U.S. it would be what Long and Winding Road. Right. But in Britain, where it's really being counted as... Probably Let It Be? No, it was The Ballad of John and Erico. Okay. Isn't that weird? Yeah, so I mean, the U.S. is only 53 years, right? <laughs> right. Because <laughs> they had a number one in 1970. Right. Oh, but nonetheless, the Stones got their number one album, which is actually much less of an accomplishment. I mean, not to denigrate that. You know, McCartney got his number one album in the last couple of years as well, but... To have a new Stones album and a uh, a new Beatles single and Beatles albums to be on the charts is just, <laughs> that's really interesting. <laughs> so many years later. There's that cartoon that's going around. We just had Daylight Savings Time here in the States. It's coming up in the UK, I do believe. You know, it's like, just how far did we set the clocks back? <laughs> right. Again, the fact that in this week and a half, it has managed to Outstream, Here Comes the Sun. Here Comes the Sun had been the top stream Beatles song up until now, and now it's now and then. Right. That's kind of incredible. And then, of course, the story that the press is really covering is, oh, my gosh, the Beatles have knocked Taylor Swift off the top of the charts. If you look at the British charts, Taylor Swift has more than enough Singles. Well, I mean, they're not singles. They are tracks in the top 50 in the UK. Right. Her position is not being threatened by a 60-year-old act. But you do have to say that the kids are clearly listening. Yeah. It's not just the Wii's that are doing all this downloading and streaming, particularly because for a significant number of the post-50s and post-60s, that's not something they do. Right. My first thought was, well, i got to get the CD. Is it curiosity or is it that they're really into it? I couldn't tell you, but there it is. Well, my personal feeling is all you have to do is listen to a couple of tracks from it, and you'll be like, oh, yeah, I want that. Particularly for the Red Album, it's kind of like that scene in The Wizard of Oz where you go from sepia tone to color or... My first thought was like, it's like the music was in 2D and now it's in 3D. Rather than looking kind of at a, a painting, now you're in the room. We were talking about the single, and I will just leave off on that with the kids are listening to the single separate from 62 to 66 and 67 to 70, which is in and of itself a tremendous accomplishment, as you have described. It's not bad for what is fundamentally. An old demo, although (laughs) it is really an amazing earworm. For sure. The amount of time that we've had it, several people have said this, and I agree, it just sticks in your head. Gee, I wish John Lennon could have finished this. (laughs) 
Yeah, all of them, actually, you know. Not that Paul and Ringo did a bad job, but I think they were a little bit tentative on messing around too much with the song. I don't think they were free to put themselves that much into it because that would be messing with the legacy in a lot of people's view. I mean, people are already upset that that middle eight section. It's good and it may have been something. I can clearly see why they don't want to include that use you or abuse you line. <laughs> yeah. At that point, the whole narrative about this being a love letter to Paul falls apart. <laughs> it's not to May Pang and it's not to Paul. There may be some to Paul in there, but you compare it to what John was writing for Double Fantasy. It's the same sort of yeah. lyrics that he was putting out there. You know, right. Clean up time and I'm losing you and uh, even watching the wheels. If we have more time at the end of the show, we'll get back to your opinion on now and then. What we're covering this week is the Blue Album, which just came out out along with the red album we can't call them greatest hits collections i guess career overview is perhaps a better term for it could be i don't think if i start calling them the alan klein collection that's really going to catch on (laughs) (laughs) you know some people were suggesting that they should just have called them red and blue since they stuck now and then on the blue album it's no longer 1967 and 1970 right hmm hadn't thought of that that would neither change things that much nor upset too many people since we all know them as red and blue anyway so the beatles colors will be red white and blue they already are to a certain extent (laughs) yeah what do you think about compilations we talked about this a little bit back at the fest people were saying why do we need red and blue in 2023 what would a release like this mean to isaac your son for example he's to a point a fan to now where he gets into the albums but if you're going to get someone a collection of beatles music this is a good offering rather than going well i'm going to give you rubber soul or i'm going to give you sergeant pepper whatever it is you get an overview in particular it's a chronological 
movement. So if you get the Red Album, you're going to hear the Beatles from 62 until 66. Sort of chronological. The CDs are chronological. For those who are into vinyl, which is what I would say a teenager these days would be more likely to be picking up or have given to them if physical media is still their preferred way to experience music. Right. The vinyl, what they have told us is that they are respecting the original play order. I don't know if I quite believe that. (laughs) Yeah, that's not really quite true, is it? With the vinyl, the songs they added is on a separate album. So you do have copies of the original, the way it was issued in 73, but you have added songs to it. But the only reason those added songs are there is because CDs play longer. Well, and people have always been complaining about that for (laughs) at least the last 30 years. Since the CDs came onto the scene, it was always, you can fit the whole Red album on one CD. (laughs) Yes, you can. There's a couple reasons why they expanded the Blue album. One is they have to make the mash at three and three. The second is the White album was always underserved by the original lineup of the Blue album. Right. And that seems to be two issues which have been solved by this collection. Okay. (laughs) I realize when they sit down in the room, they're going to cover a variety of things. And then you get into, well, okay, so what songs do you add if you have that room? And I think we had a a conversation about that. Something that came off the the White Album as an addition was Glass Onion. The nine songs that have been added to uh, the Blue Album, Now and Then, Blackbird, Dear Prudence, Glass Onion. So you got three White Album tracks. Within You, Without You, that gives you a George Harrison track. Again, both collections were light on George Harrison, and and that has certainly been resolved. Although Within You, Without You is an interesting choice to put on this collection. Hey, Bulldog, Oh Darling, I Me Mine, and I Want You, She's So Heavy, which is another odd choice. You think it's an odd choice because of the music or where it was placed? I think it's an odd choice because it is so long. It is much longer than any of the other tracks. And career retrospective, perhaps I can see why they might include greatest hits. It wasn't a greatest hit. No. It wasn't it was only sort of a highly recognized album track. Well, was it? Of course I realized I had a lot of musician friends, but I want you had a big impact. The way it was recorded, the heaviness of it. The moog and the white noise for sure. Yeah, and different feels within the song. I mean, it's it's a progressive song showing that on their last album, they weren't resting on their laurels. They were continuing to push forward. Yeah, but then why not go with the back half of the medley? Maybe you don't want to split up the medley. That might have been considered sacrilegious. (laughs) I mean, where would you start the medley and where would you end it? Well, you got to end at the end, obviously. Well, I mean, if you're going to split it at all, you can split it anywhere you want. Probably Golden Slumbers carry that weight at the end, the way McCartney's doing it live these days. Hmm. I suppose I see the end of She Came Through the Bathroom Window as a natural ending for something. Oh, yeah. And that's it. Thank you, thank you, amigos y amigas.
are probably a little bit split on I Want You. You know, <laughs> I don't mind it as a choice, but it was a choice that they made, and I might have made a different one. I might have handed the space over to a couple of different tracks, whether we're talking medley tracks or just different tracks from a little bit more wide album stuff. Piggies. Yeah, I was disappointed that It's All Too Much doesn't end up on the... I mean, there are several songs from that era that could really use a visit from Giles. <laughs> so Blackbird, we're pretty happy with, I think, as a choice. If you're going to add a White Album track, Blackbird is one that you would add. Popular song, for sure. And then the same goes for Dear Prudence. While not a hit, it is easily one of the more popular album tracks off the White Album. I'd agree with that. That was a good addition. It's a little bit weird on LP. It is split from back in the USSR, since Dear Prudence is on the last disc, and back in the USSR is back where it was. Right. They don't keep the crossfade, right? That's my only complaint about that as a choice. Then next is Glass Onion, which is a Beatles lore track. Right. It plays with their song titles. If I was to pick something and you wanted it to be from John, I would have gone with Happiness as a Warm Gun because it's just a better piece, I think. Yeah, or the Acoustic Revolution. I mean, yes, you have the electric one on here, but they are different enough. Are you talking about Revolution 1? Revolution 1, correct. Okay. No, I want to put Revolution 9 on the no, Blue Album. No, I, I was thinking, are, are you talking about uh, like a, an Esher demo? or That's really the acoustic. Given what this album is supposed to accomplish, I would just say, you know, go with Revolution 1. So you got the acoustic, you got the electric, and that would make John happy looking down. It's like, ha ha, I got both versions <laughs> on there. Right. But, you know, Revolution, the single, ended up with a good Charles Martin remix. Say you want a revolution, well, you know, we all want to change the world. It's the remix. You tell me that it's evolution, well, you know, we all want to change the world. But when you talk is a little bit softer to me. The drums are great, but it loses a little bit of the bite. Well, to me, listening to it, particularly on headphones, the drums are almost influenced by the drum effect on Instant Karma. There's this thuddy sort of thing. You know, The performance, of course, predates Instant Karma, but the feel of the drums, the way they're laid in the track... It's very similar, and it's not like what was on the single, for sure. You gain some things and you lose some things, which I think you can say of all of these mixes. Yeah. Sometimes I hear things. I was talking to a friend talking about I'm the Walrus, and there are things about this mix that I like from a standpoint of, oh, I that's in there too. Oh, that guitar. I've never really heard that guitar come out that way. You can almost take things apart, but as a record... I'm not convinced that the way it came out originally isn't better in a way because it benefits from that wash.
the remix. Expert, expert, joking smokers, don't you think the joker laughs at you? See how they smile like pigs in a sty, see how this night I'm crying. Semolina Pilcher, climbing up the Eiffel Tower. You already had Ace good stereo remix of it from the Magical Mystery Tour Blu-ray. Well, you know, we'll talk about mixes a little bit down the line here as a separate entity. Within You Without You, it's an Indian song. It's another George song. A lot of people, it's not their favorite. I'm happy with it here, but I don't know if this was the wisest decision for them to make. Well, that song looms large in his legend, for sure. But for sheer creativity in a way it's all too much is a stronger track not one that a lot of people know from george and gosh i wish somebody would give love to the inner light (laughs) it's beautiful there you go if you're gonna want an indian song that would be the one i would choose right what was it that mccartney said oh ignore all the indian stuff just listen to the melody it's a lovely melody and he was right there's a whole list of things that you go, well, what about this one? <laughs> well, I mean, that's the game we've been playing yes. since 73 was, well, does this belong here? Does this not belong <laughs> here? What about this track? And they have fixed some of it, but at some point you keep adding tracks, it's going to be the whole collection. Right. You limit it to 70 or 80 songs. I'm not so sure that they necessarily pick the right ones to tick all the boxes. Yeah, and you know there's some guy going, where's Wild Honey Pie? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Hey, Bulldog, it's kind of a novelty song. I like it. It's another one where it's like, not sure that this is necessarily what I would choose to put on the Blue Album. That song has really increased in popularity over the years, particularly with Dave Grohl. He pushes that song a lot. The song I'm proud to play with these great musicians from the Yellow Submarine soundtrack is not one of the Beatles' greatest hits, but to me, it's a quintessential Beatles rocker. Paul's rolling bass line, the trademark Ringo drum fills, George's gritty distorted guitar, and that sound that only the back of John Lennon's throat could produce. This is for my mom's favorite band, my favorite band, and now my daughter's favorite band. This is Hey Bulldog. It seemed to come to the fore back when the Yellow Submarine film came back out. Oh, what? 2004 2005 yeah because it's like oh it's this Beatles song that nobody's heard or you know nobody's really listened to and oh we're restoring it to the film so right But you know, Hey Bulldog, for the Yellow Submarine songbook, I actually prefer to this one. Not that there's anything wrong with this one, it's just 
the other one has a bite to it that this one doesn't. And there's that weird sort of banging when John is in the chorus. It sounds like someone's hitting a metal sheet or something. You can talk to me. You can talk to me. That might be it. I don't know. I have to look it up in Lewis's book. But yeah, there's something that goes on during the snare. I may have subliminally noticed, but here is right there to the fore. Yeah. That's the thing with all these mixes, as I said. When you listen to them, particularly on phones, it's like you're in the room. And so you can pick out the parts really easily. There's some real surprises for me during these things because you're hearing it differently because of the way it was mixed. Giles is not doing what he did on Pepper. He's not strongly trying to hew to the original mixes. He's not trying to change them up drastically, but he's using his own ears, and his ears are not his dad's ears. <laughs> that's right, or, nor are our ears. You know, over the years, that's something I think you guys probably covered in the group, the recording equipment or the playback equipment that everybody had was pretty simplistic, didn't have great fidelity unless you were a high-end guy. And then over the years, people got better and better systems and suddenly bass and low-end became a thing. And that's really what he's done most of is create that lower floor that didn't exist on a lot of the early Beatle records and particularly on the Red Album. It was so interesting and thrilling in a way to hear Ringo's bass drum, his kick drum. A lot of times you don't really hear it in the early Beatle mixes, but now you can actually hear it. Yeah, across the board, if you're looking for one thing which really pops in pretty much all of these mixes, a little bit less on the blue side, but it is still significantly there, is the drums. The Mao technology is really great at separating out all of the percussion from each other. Yeah. You know, hand claps, tambourines, finger snapping. Little hi-hat things. There's a lot more to hear in the kit. And, you know, as they went on in their evolution, the recording of the drum kit improved and different miking techniques. But this, you know, you're actually hearing things that you might have felt somehow, but you weren't really hearing them where you go, oh, that's the drum kit. <laughs> what I will say is that I know you are unable to experience Atmos, but the Atmos mixes are pretty much across the board better than the stereo mixes. I think Giles spent much more time getting these Atmos mixes right, and then he almost just kind of down-mixed it into a left-right stereo. That could be. You pay attention to the things that are most important to you. <laughs> well, and that is really what they want to drive the sales and downloads of this record. Right. That is really and truly what is genuinely new on both of these. Right. The red, of course, the stereo is also completely new, but save Revolver. And, you know, God bless Peter Jackson and his team, but all this really goes to show you that 
the engineers at EMI recorded the Beatles from all the way back very well. Their records have a fidelity to them that a lot of music from that time does not. They were the greatest recording organization in the world. It wasn't just a slogan. They were <laughs> genuinely that. And I mean, we, we like to snigger a little bit about, oh, you know, the engineers walking around with the white coats and <laughs> such, but that was part of it. Right. There were engineering standards. And if you read Jeff Everett's book, whatever he's trying, he has to hide it. <laughs> you know, the overdriving of all sorts of electronic equipment and micing techniques and what would have been considered abuse of the microphones. And I do have to wonder how the mal technology works with the distortion on revolution, if that may not be part of the issue. That's interesting. I was listening to it and I kept thinking that the capital mastering people actually cabled London and was like, this is all wrong. The, the guitars are way overdriven. And apparently Martin had to say, no, this is what we want. Does the machine actually realize, or is it removing something that it might <laughs> think is noise? Right, right. And then you have mixing decisions on top of that. So after a Hey Bulldog, oh, darling, no problem with that. Great. We're going to add what is probably one of the best recognized McCartney songs off of Abbey Road. To the listing, I Me Mine, fine. You want a Harrison track. It may not necessarily be the best Harrison track. I might have gone with the naked version of this, though. Huh. Spectre did some things, and then Paul went and kind of pared it back a little bit. What Spectre really did was he lengthened it, of course. Right, and McCartney kept that. The other thing that would have done is that would have kind of acknowledged some of this in-between stuff. You know, you still do have the things which came out in the 70s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. One of the tracks off the Love album might not have been out of place in here somewhere. Yeah, that probably would have been more controversial within the organization than just going <laughs> with what they had rather than saying, well, we're going to stick one of Child's creations in the middle of this. You never would know what the politics were. And now it's not just Apple politics. You also have the UME politics yes, in there. for sure. Yeah, but, you know, one you, you haven't mentioned that I, I really like, as far as the mix is concerned, is Old Brown Shoe. are certainly very clear and very to the fore in the new old brown shoe right and to me the piano is a little bit more jangly brighter which in a way allows the bass and the guitar that when they are doubling things it comes through better and as you said the vocals are more up and clear it just came overall to me as an improvement so okay we got Three Magical Mystery Tour tracks. Do you still want a deluxe edition of Magical Mystery Tour? You want Giles to redo the whole album? <laughs> I'm not sure Giles is going to want to redo the whole album. But, you know, if you're going to do a project, this would be a smaller project for you. But 
oh my gosh, when I heard Magical Mystery Tour and heard some of the instruments that came to the fore a little bit more, I thought, oh my gosh, I have to hear Maybe You're a Rich Man with the Peter Jackson Giles Martin remix. On the Magical Mystery Tour, I think Giles made some, I won't say mistakes, but his choices on the vocals were not quite right. The vocals are not quite as upfront and punchy as they've always been. I mean, that's, that's a word we keep going back to. The instruments are great. I love the separation. I love the drums that we get on this version of Magical Mystery Tour. But the vocals seem to get lost a little bit. Are we talking about the song itself? The song itself, yes. the remix all the instruments seems to come out a little bit more it's like they're sacrificing the vocals ever so slightly to bring up the bass and the drums. It's more than that. One of the things I was so freaked out about was in my right speaker, the guitar is up. You could hear that whole guitar part, which surprisingly is a very rock and roll, kind of a 50s rock and roll guitar lick. And I'd never heard that. I'd heard bits and pieces of it as musical noise as part of the whole presentation, but I'd never really heard that part. And that was one of the things I thought about. You're really sitting in the room because you can hear everybody playing their instruments. This mix, both the stereo and the Atmos, are significantly different than either the mono or stereo we've had before. Yeah, I agree. The sound effect in Magical Mr. Tour, which may be uh, the squealing of tires from the bus, I'm not real sure. Mm-hmm. They're much further back than they've ever been before. You know, usually it's been this upfront thing, and now it's further back in the mix. It's not an important thing, you still hear it. And again, in the remix. I'm not going so far as some people do to say that, oh, Giles screwed it up. Oh, no. But I will say that his choices are significantly different than what was on the original record. Whereas, really, I would say, certainly with Pepper, certainly with Abbey Road, certainly with Revolver, he has pretty much tried to stay as close to the original mixes as he could. Right. White Album, he changed things up, but not this significantly. These are... I would say significantly different mixes. I wonder what the basic tracks are because it's right in this period that George Barton said there's a whole bunch of songs he was not really particularly fond of. And maybe the tracking was more noisy (laughs) or there was just so much music layered on that wasn't easy to mix. But these songs, as you said, sound different in the mixes. He didn't use the originals as much of a template as he had in the past i don't think he had to mal any of these i think they have the original tracks all the way back for everything post pepper yeah yeah i think there may be some tracks that have some mixed downs on them but i think they have a significant percentage of 
every recorded track, which goes into any one song, post Pepper. Could be. I mean, they were still doing four track, but by that time they were so famous. I'm sure they were keeping everything. <laughs> they were syncing up machines and they did bounce downs before they did the mixes, but they still kept the original three tracks when they did the bounce down. Right. Now, did you feel like the string parts in I'm the Walrus were more up front than in the original recording? I think so. I'm the Walrus is kind of a weird thing because you got all of these elements and through the 90s, the last minute, minute and a half was in mono. Right. After sitting in an English garden, it changed at that point. And that was the deal when they did the Blu-ray and they remixed it to stereo. They actually found, oh, slave, thou hast slain me. Villain, take my purse. If ever thou wilt try, bury my body. And... Give the letters which thou find'st about me to Edmund, Earl of Gloucester. Seek him out upon the British party. Oh, untimely death. Death. I know thee well. A serviceable villain. As duteous to the vices of thy mistress as badness would desire. What? Is he dead? Sit you down, father. Rest you. And they were able to include that in their mix properly right king lear is still there and they didn't have to use the original bounce down version as a matter of fact the whole radio part is more i don't know whether it's the position of the mix or what but it's louder than in the original recording and there's a part that almost sounds like something from revolution nine you know some kind of musical gibberish Towards the end. And the Mike Sam singers seem to be much lower in the mix. Yes. And maybe that's it. Maybe they're lower and therefore the radio part is higher. It's just that whole Shakespeare part is much clearer and audible. I mean, you could kind of understand what was going on. Whereas before you just catch little bits of, of dialogue. Yeah. And until it gets to like the very, very end. Right. You know, sit you down, father, rest you. Right. Walrus is, seems to be the one that is causing people to go a little bit bat crazy on this. It's like, this is wrong. And I don't think it's wrong. I just think it's a different mix. Yeah. I mean, he's not changing anything. The performance is the performance. He's not taking anything out. He's not adding anything. All he's doing is positioning things in a mix that he feels or perhaps for the sake of good music or for the sake of the modern listener that is the motto which he's still going around and telling people his kids don't care when an album was made or when a song came out <laughs> right we're gonna listen to nirvana we're gonna listen to boy genius then we're gonna listen to i'm the walrus and uh, penny lane <laughs> and to them it's all music and that's all they care about yeah and so that's why you don't want to be sticking out as something which is significantly different than what the kids are listening to, the way the kids are used to experiencing music. I do think there's probably an extra second or two at the very end of the new Walrus. I think so. You were talking about some of that Revolution 9-ish swirl of music, and you get just a little bit of that right out at the very end. And that was the very first thing I noticed was like, Oh, wow, that's different. Yes, 
It is. And as I said, it does sound kind of like Revolution 9. So so he was doing it back then. Uh, The other Magical Mystery Tour track we get is Fool on the Hill. Day after day, alone on a hill, the man with the foolish grin is keeping perfectly still. Nobody wants to know him They can see that he's just a fool And again in the remix Day after day Alone on a hill The man with the foolish grin Is keeping perfectly still But nobody wants to know him They can see Now that is just gorgeous yeah but let's face it you're working with perfection at that point that is just a beautiful recording it works when you break it down to what is he playing on the piano oh it's just grouped chords here and then a 12 string comes in just for a couple of bars and then the flute from the recorder it's just a beautiful recording and giles mixed everything really well it's tasteful it is very faithful to the original, but you can absolutely hear every little bit that went on in the recording of this song. Yeah, I've got no complaints about this one at all. It's it's really beautiful. Revolution we spoke of, it is good, it is different, but it may be a little bit less ballsy, shall we say? Okay, I'll go along with that. It's still better than John Lennon's piece of ice cream stereo mix. <laughs> yeah. But I think I prefer the mono, if I'm to be honest. Well, having heard it, I would think John would have said, can you turn the guitars up a little? (laughs) (laughs) I get the feeling in some of these mixes that it's the fact that Paul and Ringo are still around. (laughs) Bass and drums get treated a little bit better than (laughs) some of the guitars and vocals do in places. (laughs) But then I haven't really put it in in the air and turned it way up. See how I suspect those drums will really kick. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Yes. Yeah. Universally, across both the red and the blue, I have no complaints about the way the Mal technology pulled out the drums. Some people say they can hear some slight artifacting. I can't. It sounds like a snare, and it sounds like a tom, and it sounds like a kick drum to me. Right. All Brown Shoe, which we talked about. You're happy with it. I'm mostly happy with it. The piano is great. The jangle is something new. And George's vocal is actually much more legible. His vocal had always been a little bit garbled. (laughs) Guttural. Yeah. It's brighter. It is much clearer and much more understandable here. So, I mean, it lets you know that it was the mix. It was not the way it was recorded. Yeah. He didn't intentionally record it in Dylan-esque mumbling. (laughs) Which he could have, but yeah, it's much clearer. This mix tells you that, nope, that wasn't the case because (laughs) his vocal is actually brought to the fore. Unless when they were originally mixing it, he goes, can you make me sound more like Dylan? (laughs) That's possible, but (laughs) I don't know if he and Phil Spector were on the best of terms at that point in time. (laughs) By the time that Spector was working on these tracks... He and George were already starting to fall out on All Things Must Pass. So. <laughs> the other remix track is Hey Bulldog, which we also spoke of a little bit. It's that banging which kind of gets to me, and it's like, I don't think that should be that high in the mix, Giles. Yeah. 
but it's still a rocking song. It doesn't diminish the song in any way. It's just another one where it's like, well, I might go back to an earlier mix. Yeah. This may not be my preferred mix. The fact that they're putting all these new mixes, the Giles Martin mixes on these collections, I hope this doesn't mean that they're going to start pushing these as the primary mixes it was always kind of well here's an alternate and now it seems put out this record in this way it's like oh no these are the ones you should be listening to <laughs> yeah you don't know what the legacy is gonna be yeah I, I still get irritated when i'm listening to serious radio and they put on something and it's listed as let's say dig a pony but they're playing an alternate performance of it and they don't indicate in any way that it's an alter performance. So that was actually, I think, McCartney's argument early on, is that people would not know what art did the Beatles put out if it keeps changing, and they start playing bootlegs as being legitimate performances. They're putting out the outtakes and demos and such themselves, so... Who's going to stop it? They're approving all of this. <laughs> right. But that's what's going to come up is, I mean, are we going to get to a point where it's like you have to go through and have five different mixes of Beatles songs so you can say the playlist I'm going to make is going to use the 2018 White Album and the 1967 Pepper. It's going to be just mixes of different years even different producers one thing that ken said last week is that his students keep asking him when are we going to get the stems they want the stems <laughs> from everything right now because not only do they want to do remixes and diy remixes are a real thing and some of them are good and some of them are bad it is justification for people being allowed to do that that may be the world that Kids are going to be listening to the Beatles in 20, 30, 40 years from now. Right. You go to the stems and maybe they release packages and it's like, oh, okay, apply this to the package and this will give you the equivalent of the original mix. Wow. It's a very significantly different way of listening to music than the way that we have listened to music. It's going to change. And that's the way it should be. I mean, if it's going to live, it will change. Jeff Jones and the Apple organization have really been pretty good at moving along with the times you know there's a reason why the beatles are still such a popular act why they're still a big act as paul mccartney likes to say <laughs> so given the world what is the next project you are looking for yeah i still think we're probably going to get rubber soul and help next year we don't know that for sure but I would guess that. As far as projects that I'm looking forward to, a realistic, I would like to see them go and do a remaster of Help in 4K. That'd be good. I think. You I know, think the project I would really like to hear would be the uh, Star Club. Yeah, I still don't know how much better they're going to get than what Lord Reith is accomplishing. With his remixes, I mentioned this on a previous show, we're both mightily impressed with the de-echoed version that he came out with a couple years back. He has now found a way to strengthen and recover vocals off of those tapes. So not only has he managed to pull a decent vocal for most of the tracks off of the Stowe School, he is now going in and 
where he can, he's pulling back lead vocals from the Star Club tapes that are kind of degraded and barely listenable. Well, somebody should do it. I'm honestly not so sure I'd want that in Giles Martin's hands. <laughs> it's gorgeous, and he could probably come up with a great Atmos mix of it, but I think this is a case where the fans might be a little bit better. The crowdsourcing might be a little bit better at coming up with ways of presenting the Star Club material. Well, okay, I'll wait for that. <laughs> that is the one audio project that people seem to really have dug their teeth into. The problem there is is not a mal issue, although the separation will help. I don't know how great a stereo image they could get out of that. The de-echoing is the first part. They could certainly replicate probably to a higher fidelity degree than what Lord Reith has accomplished. But then what do you do? Is there enough to get a stereo performance field? Right. And I just don't know. I don't either. So if we're talking about unreleased stuff, I would still like a really complete get back box audio. Not all of the discs, but a two disc compilation of all of the best of the rest of the get back sessions. Because I think you can get, get a very listenable two disc set out of that. Peter Jackson has referred to possibilities regarding that. You know, the idea, for instance, that at one time there was talk at Apple that they would release a rock and roll album, the Beatles playing old rock and roll. And the question is, is there enough there that you could put something together like that? And there's still a bunch of songs, Watching Rainbows, Madman, and that sort of thing that could be completed. That seems to have been the bug that's gotten up Peter Jackson's backside of late. He seems to have, while not quite objected, he seems to have gone out and said, you know, this is not necessarily the last Beatles song. Right. Depending upon where they want to go, there are certainly songs that John and George have worked together on. Uh, you know, there's certainly outtakes from Plastic on a Band and Imagine that we know feature both John and George playing and singing together. So if you're going to put together a rock and roll, the question is, does Paul want to do it? <laughs> this is true. I got to kind of wonder whether some of this, it's the end of the Beatles thing, isn't coming from Paul. While he's never been one to shy away from making a splash by mentioning the Beatles, he also seems to be tied up in the business of legacy a little bit more these last few years. The lyrics book, and now with Now and Then, even McCartney 321, it's kind of been Paul taking a minute and saying, hey, I've been a great musician, look at what I've done. Yeah, that's fair. He's just basically putting it all out there. I did this. He's in his 80s, and he's certainly entitled to do so. Yeah. It's a natural thing that comes once you kind of hit that age so i mean i can see that he's kind of the one that's pushing all of this end of the beatles thing i he's definitely the one who wanted this song finished yeah truly he was the driving force so i mean we've talked offline but i don't think we've gotten your thoughts on record about now and then what you said to me was that you thought that maybe george wasn't that far off the mark <laughs> well i get that the narrative of george's objections had to do with the fact that it was a crappy tape there was a buzz all the way through it that no matter what jeff lynn 
did to that, it wasn't going to go away. And so therefore it wasn't worth the effort. But I think he also was not all that thrilled with the song. It wasn't finished. Without a lot of work, it wasn't in a place where you go, yeah, this would be relatively easy. And so he walked away. George never really wanted to be a Beatle anyway. After a certain time, he wasn't really doing the whole anthology thing of his own free will. He needed the cash. Right. So modern technology allowed it that it could be made into something. And it's a cool project. And that's kind of what it is. It's a song that wasn't completed. I don't think that the lyrics would have been the lyrics he would have been satisfied with in the end. The performance of it. Uh, I think I told you it's a quiet vocal. It's the kind of vocal. It's like, well, I don't want to wake up the the baby. So I'm going to sing in that kind of quiet voice. I don't think that would have been the vocal he would have used. So there are some things against it. Yeah. I could see it turning into a rock and roll type song. Actually, you know, knowing how John was, he, probably would have to some degree. You know, he wasn't big on the soft side. He did them occasionally, but that wasn't his normal kind of writing. So I think that it was just incomplete. One of the reasons why I really like Free as a Bird is because they contributed lyrics and a little melody line. So that was truly a collaborative effort. This one, they took stuff away, as you mentioned, the bridge. And so it's a great effort. It's nice. It's not John's love letter to Paul. That's a narrative that they're selling, but I just don't believe that's the case. And so that's where I kind of fell on it. However, just like it is in Beetledom, I've seen a couple of performances of it that have really illustrated to me that it's a much better melody than I gave it credit for at first. Yeah, the minor keys and all that. There's one really great version out there. A guy's done it as kind of an I'll be back, a 65 Beatles era tune, and it really works. Yeah. You wouldn't think it would. I know it's true. It's all because of you. And if I make it through, it's all So I just don't think it's great, but it's it's nice. Real love is not great either. <laughs> you know, it's, right. it's okay. Right. It's good. And I like the additions and I don't begrudge it anything, but the Beatles version of real love is okay. It's an interesting footnote to the Beatles career. Right. And I agree with, with Paul when he said, you know, he was thinking about it and I thought, well, if I was to go to John and say, hey, do you want us to finish this song? John would have went, yeah. And I suspect that's right. I'm not there. You guys finish it. You bet. Well, I mean, you know, George and his cynicism 
I hope someday somebody takes all my old demos and turns them into hits. <laughs> As we start out, it's a number one hit. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> you can't complain too much. No, no, can't. The production is really gorgeous. They did a really good job on the production. Paul's bass playing is tremendous here. It may be hotter than it's been in uh, a number of years. Right. Uh, Ringo's drums, it's perfect Ringo. And I like what they did with the orchestra. What do you think of Faux George? I think they just shouldn't have even ever mentioned that it was any more than a tribute to George. You know, it's not really Harrison-esque. No, (laughs) no. All it is is the Harrison sound. It is Paul playing slide. (laughs) That's really all that you can say about it. Paul on that slide is not as clever as George is. As as I've said, if they wanted to go that route, you know, they should have brought in Mike Campbell, who, <laughs> you know, we know he can do the George Harrison slide true. style absolutely perfect. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, to the point that you barely know whether it's actually George doing it or not. Otherwise, it's good. I'm happy enough with it. I'm amazed and glad that they have managed to turn this into a number one record. And I don't know whether it's going to be number one in the States. Yeah, who knows? We'll see where it ends up on the Billboard charts. Right. Then the video. I mean, a lot of people don't like the middle bit in the video where they have merged together the uh, the Hello Goodbye, Magical Mystery Tour era Beatles with current Paul and Ringo. It's like, I don't mind that. I mean, you know, they were always a little bit of silliness and... They did that in while they were filming the clip. It wasn't like those were just things which they were caught unawares that they were doing it. It was filmed as something that could conceivably be included in a video clip. All those people are Grinches. It's a nice little video given a blank slate. Come up with a video for a song, two of which the members have passed, and... I think he did a great job, given what he had. Yeah, it's clever and it's fun. I've also said this before. I just kind of don't get the complaints. It's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, it should have been played straight all the way through. I mean, that just would have been depressing. Those are the same people who would go, what is Ringo's riding a stationary bike and it's snowing? What does all that mean? <laughs> well, there, there is that as well. All right. You like Free as a Bird better. I, I also agree that Free as a Bird is the best of the new-ish songs. Yeah. Uh, As far as Peter Jackson's thought that maybe they could come up with some more, I think even if they do, I don't know that they'll necessarily label them as Beatles songs. Yeah. It's playing in the studio. Hey, can we do this? This would be cool. We could do this. It's not of any great import. You know, you either like it or you don't, just like any Beatles song. It probably won't end up being high art. It's never going to be Yesterday or Day in the Life <laughs> right. or Strawberry Fields. But if you record it, if they like it and they put it out, great. Right. Good on them. Right. That is our look at the Blue Album. You know, we're not going to go and do like we normally do with these SDEs because, well, I mean, most of this record is out already. We may end up doing two shows on the Red Album because, you know, we have to go through those mixes track by track because every song other than the revolver stuff is brand new yeah it's great that we got so much of rubber soul although uh, that's going to make some people probably not buy the sde unless there is something really really outstanding on the outtakes disc yeah that may be why they're going to put helping rubber soul together in one box 
Yeah, that, that could be. Very good. Just because I have to mention it every show. And by the time you're getting this, Lonnie and I will have already been to Mexico City and back. We're looking forward to seeing Paul on this tour. She's a Woman is back in the live set, and that's really cool. <laughs> one of the Beatles songs I haven't ever heard him do. All right. I have one thing I need to say, and that is because the camp sometimes blend. Happy birthday to Andy Partridge. He turned 70 years old. Songwriter for XTC and friend to us all one of the biggest beatles inspired bands around although dukes of stratosphere is probably more so than (laughs) xcc right not that they're actually different bands just slightly different attitudes (laughs) all right we will be back next week talk to you soon good night subscribe to when they was fab on itunes podbean stitcher or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group, and we could be reached at When They Was Fab and on Gmail. The opening theme was written, produced, and recorded by Jay Young Kim, Beaster Famine Studios, San Francisco, California. This is another collection of, of, of Beatle titles which uh, are very interesting and it's the same kind of problem of keeping the integrity of the original um, and yet putting them over in a medium which everyone can recognise is necessary nowadays. That, that's the, really the basis of it. It is true that when we made these original records we were making them for vinyl and you do have to cook your vinyl sound to make it sound on CD like vinyl. I mean, this is a bit of a paradox, but you do have to work at it in order to try and make the CD sound as though it is a vinyl rather than the CD. It's pretty subtle, though, and um, we've had to do that. And the engineers at Abbey Road, EMI, worked very long hours and uh, made many, many cuts and shoved them to me for approval, and I kept rejecting them. And um, eventually we got something which I think was, was uh, pretty satisfying and they were happy with it and I was happy with it. I really hope the public can be happy with it because a lot of work's gone into it. Free. I tell you one thing, there's sickness going on and there's some good people doing work in hospitals, but they got no bread to do it on. Not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people, but the scraping the barrel for funds to keep going. Turned up nice again.